First of all, he said, if you can learn a simple trick, Scout, you'll get along a lot better with all kinds of folks. You never really understand a person until you consider things from his point of view, until you climb into his skin and walk around in it. I think walking around in another person's shoes would be much easier and less criminal. You're listening to Outside of a Dog, where we decide whether great literature is actually any good. Hello, and welcome to this episode of Outside of a Dog. My name is Jonas. And I'm Christian. Hi. To Kill a Mockingbird is probably one of the most read, most famous pieces of classic American literature. But for us, it was kind of new area to discover. We both read it for the first time. Let me give a brief summary of what the book is about. The novel takes place in the years 1933 to 1935 in the south of the US, namely in Maycomb, Alabama. This specific place and time are presented to us by Jean Louise Finch, who looks back at her childhood in Maycomb, when she was still known as Scout, a regular tomboy of seven or eight years old. Scout grew up with her brother Jem under the supervision of their father Atticus, a peace-loving middle-aged lawyer. In the first part of the novel, Scout mainly tells us about the circumstances of her childhood, about her family, and the rather placid and even boring life in Maycomb. One of the few exciting things are the summer visits of Dill Harris, apparently based on Harper Lee's childhood friend Truman Capote, who, like Scout and Jem, becomes obsessed with Boo Radley. Boo is the resident neighborhood weirdo of Shutin, who apparently became kind of crazy many years ago and nowadays is almost never seen, and became a practically mythical creature in the neighborhood. Yet little presents by him to Jem and Scout show that he may be more interested in the outside world than people might think. The calm life of Maycomb and of Scout's childhood are disturbed when Atticus becomes the lawyer of Tom Robinson, a young African-American worker who is accused of raping Mayella Ewell, a young white woman. Obviously, Alabama in the 1930s was deeply segregated, with the Jim Crow laws discriminating against the African-American community, and an accusation like that is sure to create even more racial tension. Nevertheless, Atticus takes the case, although this means that many of his neighbors treat him and his family with a lot of hostility. Atticus still tries his best to prove Tom's innocence, and even protects him from a lynching posse. Still, Tom is found guilty, and later killed when trying to escape from prison. However, for Mayella's father, Bob Ewell, that still isn't enough. He threatens Atticus, and eventually attacks Jem and Scout, who are only saved by the intervention of Boo Radley. So, Scout's idyllic childhood is violently destroyed, but she and her brother have learned what their father is all about, to see and to do something against injustice, unfairness, and senseless violence. In the late 1950s, Harper Lee actually worked as a reservations clerk for an airline, and wrote essays and short stories in her spare time. She was then put in touch with a literary agent by her childhood friend, Truman Capote, and decided to quit the airline. And actually her friends collected a year's worth of her salary for her to have a year to just write this novel. And it was published in 1960. At first she didn't expect much, but 
The book was a phenomenal success, and it has never been out of print since. So my first question to you, Jonas, is does the novel deserve its position as such a classic that every American child has to read it as a kind of signal against racism? Well, when I first started reading the book, I would have disagreed. Actually, when I read the first chapter, which is all about Scout's family and her family background and her ancestor who came from Cornwall because he was a Methodist and then settled in Alabama and then the subsequent generations living in this particular house and she describes the house. It's basically what Holden Caulfield calls all this David Copperfield crap. And I don't have a lot of patience for that. So when I read the first chapter, I thought, oh God, this is going to be so dull. But then... Uh, it moved on and it became a bit more about Scout and Jem and Dill. And I thought, okay, this is a bit more interesting, uh, especially when they tried to get Boo Radley to come out of the house. That was very interesting. But even though I had never read the novel, I had, of course, heard about it. And it had always been sold to me as this diatribe against Southern racism. And the first part is much more about this childhood and these three children sort of playing games and the racial elements and the question of racism doesn't really come into it in a big way until the second part. And so at first I was kind of put off by that as well but then I thought oh, okay this is a novel about children in the south and the question of race comes into it later but it's just a different kind of book than I had imagined. Maybe not the most important and most elusive book when it comes to questions of race in America, but especially the second part is, I think, a very important text. I don't know whether I can wholly agree with that. I think that it is certainly a important book. It certainly deals with racism in a surprisingly complex manner, but I think It is still limited to a very specific perspective. Of course, that is part of the whole appeal, that we see this world of Maycomb through the eyes of a child. That is the narrative conceit, that Scout's perspective as a young girl is very limited. She doesn't understand many of the prejudices and the unfairness that rule this Southern community. But at the same time, It is most definitely still a perspective that is rooted in the South. And that is on the one hand a good thing, because it is a more authentic picture, a more complex one, where not only questions of race, but also of class and of gender are portrayed. And it all links together to a, as I said, surprisingly complex portrayal of Southern community. But at the same time, this Southern community is treated as something generally rather positive. As Atticus tells his daughter, these people, these racist lynchers, are still our neighbors and our friends. And that is put to the forefront. And much of the history of the South, for example, the Civil War, or the history of the Ku Klux Klan, is basically sugar-coated. And people, even if they are against racism, are very vocal in their support of Old Dixie. And growing up there is seen as generally rather positive. So the negative aspects are not hidden or obscured, but they're kind of relativized by the idyllic nature of Maycomb and by the generally rather, yeah, nice southern sense of community. I think when you assume, as I did, that this is a novel about 
race relations and about overcoming racial prejudice or starting to overcome racial prejudice, you're really focusing on too narrow an aspect of the novel. It is part of this novel, but generally I think this is a novel about the South coming to terms with its history and itself in the early 20th century, which is a process that is still going on to this day. And I think it comes out very well when Atticus actually says, this time we aren't fighting the Yankees, this time we're fighting our friends. So he always pleads for understanding. That's also the essence of this very famous quote, walking around another man's skin or shoes, that you have to understand people, even if it is the horribly racist old hag next door, you still have to understand, well, she's very old and she's very sick and she's in pain. And I agree with that. I think for the most part, um, Harper Lee does a really good job of conveying that really simple message in a fitting and still interesting and complex manner that each character seems to have another side to them. Another character that I find really interesting is Calpurnia, the African-American cook for the Finch family. I think it would have been very easy to make her a kind of stereotype, a kind of mammy figure. But I think she has a bit more complexity in the novel. I totally agree with that. I think Calpurnia not only is shown to have another side to her than what you might expect in the beginning. In the beginning, Scout reduces her basically to this very strict authority figure, um, a kind of no-nonsense black woman, you might say, a stereotype in its own right. But later, when Scout accompanies her to the African-American church, we not only see that Calpurnia has another life beyond the Finch household, but also that she's really quite adept at changing her manner and her social role that she plays according to her circumstances. That is also the point where Scout realizes that she has never really thought about Calpurnia's age. And she realizes that Calpurnia is older than Atticus and that she has a grown-up son who has been mentioned in the novel before. So Calpurnia really steps out of this no-nonsense black woman, as you said, uh, role and sort of becomes an individual, a woman who has a family, a woman who learned to read. How did she learn to read? All these questions about Calpurnia are raised in that part of the novel. Exactly. And also it's hinted that that she was born on the Finch's old, formerly probably slave plantation, the landing. And we never hear more about it, but at least it's always hinted that that Calpurnia has a more complex and interesting life story than the glimpses we get here. And as I said, she's very adept at changing her role Scout talks to her about the way she talks to members of the African-American community and how that is quite different from the way she talks to her and the others in the Finch household. And Calpurnia says, yes, that's, that's the way I do it. That's the way I have to change according to what my role is in the social circumstances. And in that way, she becomes, for example, even more complex than Atticus. They are even compared that Atticus can always talk the way he talks. But Calpurnia has to change. And that is, I think, a really interesting fact. It's not elaborated on because, as I said, this is still a, a white perspective on African-Americans. But at least it's, it's hinted at that there is much more to talk about and much more to tell. And you might talk about the view of the African-American community as somehow a bit more emotional or primal that the service in the church is a bit more stereotypical like you would imagine a 
gospel service to be. But at the same time, Lee doesn't trivialize the service. It is compared to the white church service and it said, well, there isn't much of a difference there. I found it really interesting that she doesn't go on about the differences and that uh, the people are shouting all the time or all these cliches, you know, about African-American churches. No, she says, well, it's basically a service, very much like the service that Scout is used to. And then there's a collection, uh, but there's subtle differences. Whereas Calpurnia is a rather complex character and many other characters are as well i really like for example the depiction of aunt alexandra which seems to be at first a rather stereotypical contrast to atticus's portrayal that she is the more narrow-minded one that she is the more racist one as well but as we learn alexandra isn't that different from atticus in many respects and family and family connections are more important than reputation and so on however there is two characters where that complexity, at least in my opinion, doesn't work. And one of them is Bob Ewell, who is just the most evil, drunk, racist, misogynistic bastard you could imagine. And on the other hand, there's Atticus. And maybe we could talk about Atticus for a while, because to be honest, I really don't like Atticus that much. It's interesting. He's described as this rather aloof figure. He's never dad or daddy. He's always Atticus. It's rather reverential in a way, the way his aloofness is described and that he's always considerate. He's always calm. He's sanctified in Scout's eyes. I mean, she talks about how she can't connect to him and how she doesn't understand him for the most part of her childhood, that she thinks he's a, a lame dad, so to say. But in the end... For us, the readers, and for her, eventually, it becomes clear that Atticus is the best person imaginable, that he is the ideal father, the ideal person, the ideal political being. Frankly, there is no moment where we have the feeling, really, that he has a flaw, that he has a sign of, of weakness. And that makes him, in my eyes at least, not the role model that apparently he is for many, many people. He's too good to be true, you mean? Exactly. I think it's also interesting that he is this saintly figure and he preaches this endless tolerance. You always have to try and emphasize with other people, even if they are a lynch mob that comes to kill a man who is awaiting trial. And I think that is difficult, difficult. to say the least. Yes. Because and eventually you have to take a stand and to always say, yes, but think about this. Yes, but consider that. It's generally a good idea, but it can lead to a certain la-di-da, we can all get along and we will not change too much because, well, just think about these poor other people and how upset they will be when we change anything. If you always consider what the other side of the thing is, then you might end up in a, yeah, as you say, a kind of whitewashed, relativist, peacenik ideal that really doesn't work that well. It's interesting that towards the end of the novel, she actually raises the question of Adolf Hitler, because the novel is set in the mid-1930s, and the children talk in school about how Hitler persecutes the Jews and puts them in prisons, as they say, and that that's not okay. 
And then Scout goes home and asks her father, well, Daddy, should we also try to see things from Hitler's point of view? And there Atticus actually sort of questions his own maxim and says, well, maybe that is a case where you really get to the edge of trying to understand people. But it is addressed only very marginally in this one chapter of the book. And I also found the mention of Hitler a very heavy-handed attempt to kind of put the whole racism issue into perspective. Though I really enjoyed it how the teacher wrote on the blackboard, we're a democracy, and then had all the children chant, we're a democracy. That's a nice thing to do. And I think many of the more subtle complexities of portraying the society and the people are in these little details that Lee doesn't really comment on, just shows them as they are, and it's for us, the readers, to pick up on them. Still, this more heavy-handed side brings me to another problem I have with the novel, the perspective. Because I think that you don't really need the view back. You don't really need present-day Jean Louise Finch looking back at her childhood. Because what makes the narrative perspective so special is that it is the view of a child, the view of someone coming to terms with things. And I think for the most part, the grown-up perspective is really not necessary. Sometimes it's kind of added on, like a crutch almost. For example, when Atticus is talking about certain things and Scout listens in and he knows she's there, but he's kind of making a point. And then the narrator makes a comment like, Years later, I realized that he wanted me to hear that. I don't think that's necessary, really. I don't think we need that. It's much more effective if we stick to the perspective of the child. But I think that is to do with the way that the book was written. Initially, Harper Lee wrote a book about Scout, Jean Louise, as a grown-up coming back to visit her father Atticus and thinking about this time when she realized a lot of things. And I think these points in the novel that you just said you didn't really like, where adult Jean Louise sort of comments on the action, are the vestiges of that initial book. And of course, this book that Lee initially wrote, which she was then asked to rewrite from Scout's perspective as a child, will now be published as Go Set a Watchman. Which actually brings me to the question, do you think you will read Go Set a Watchman when it is published? I think I will. Because I was really intrigued by To Kill a Mockingbird. It is a surprisingly complex book. At the same time, the message is a rather simple and straightforward one. And this combination, I think, makes it really effective in its own way. I think I will also read the book, especially because I hope we will learn a bit more about Jem, the scout's older brother. Because towards the end of the book, he's incredibly angry about the verdict in the case of Tom Robinson and he thinks it's incredibly unfair and he is really really angry about the general mistreatment of black people in the south and in America generally and he says when he grows up he's going to be a lawyer and he's going to change all that and he's going to really fight for equal rights and to see him in the 1960s with the civil rights movement I think would be very interesting to see how he has developed. And I hope that he sort of manages to channel all his anger that he has into Kill a Mockingbird into the fight for equal rights that will probably be going on at the time when Ghost at a Watchman is set. It's not only Jem, I think. It's also 
I would like to hear more about Scout because one of the lessons she learned is not only to see things as they are, but also her role as a girl in society. And that is a kind of dubious lesson because she is a tomboy. She likes to play with boys. She is quick to beat up whoever she thinks is wrong. And her father and especially her aunt try to educate her. And her aunt always tells her to be more ladylike. And there's a really interesting scene where she finds out that Tom Robinson has been killed. And she realizes that maybe being a lady under dire circumstances, keeping up appearances and making small talk is just as hard as being a man. And while that is an interesting view, it's still one that from a contemporary perspective is kind of a strange one. That she has to learn how to be a proper lady in order to fight the good fight. I don't know. It's probably just an option, but still, for her role as a girl, as a woman in this society, it's kind of a, an ambivalent message, at least. But I think all the things we're criticizing about the book are a testament to how, as you said, very complex it is, and to the fact that you can find so much in this novel that it will definitely be a rewarding read. I think it is not only a book that you should read because it is great literature and it is very important and a very important text that is very highly regarded. I think it's also just incredibly exciting. As I said, I sort of struggled with the first chapter with all the David Copperfield crap. But then when it goes into the description of all the childhood hijinks they get into, that is really entertaining. That is really diverting to read. And then when the second part starts and we move into the court for the trial, uh, it becomes really intense and very, very exciting. It becomes almost like a kind of John Grisham procedural, also with the subject matter, of course. And then there is the famous scene, the scene that I knew even before I picked up the book, where a rabbit dog walks up the street and at first they're not sure is it a rabbit dog or is it not because it is February usually rabbit dogs only come out in the summer but he walks funny and they're not sure what to do and then Atticus and the sheriff arrive and Atticus shoots the dog with a single shot by the way another extremely unrealistic aspect not only is Atticus a pacifist but he used to be the best shot in the entire county. He just chooses not to use violence. Ugh. I know how you would say it's a bit contrived, but I think it's not as contrived because it's not uh, that they say, oh, he had a tragic accident and he shot out the eye of his best friend or something. That would be really tiresome. But no, he just thinks, okay, I can do that. But it's not something I particularly want to do. He also doesn't want to have a gun in the house. So he just doesn't. But when there's a threat to his family and his neighbors, he takes it down. And the scene with the rabbit dog is so incredibly well written. You read it and you are on the edge of your seat because even though it's just a dog walking up the street very slowly and people trying to figure out what to do about it, it is incredibly tense. I agree with you regarding the style. In the beginning, you think it's really quite simple, emulating the perspective of a child, maybe, and you get into it really easily. But I think especially the atmosphere of certain scenes, you mentioned the courtroom scene and the dog scene, and also later the attack on Jem and Scout, really suspenseful, really atmospheric. And as I said, 
Lee's style is usually quite subtle. In several ways, this novel is a real stylistic masterclass. In a very different way from Lolita, which we raved about in the last episode, but still... For example, she describes that a couple produced a child in a burst of friendliness, which is such a nice and reserved <laughs> way of talking about procreation. Also, she simply says, I split my knuckle to the bone on his front teeth, and then moves on with the narration of how the parents break up the fight. And then you realize, oh, there's a fight going on, and it's a really incredibly violent fight where Scout punches her cousin in the face so hard that her hands starts to bleed. And it's these little stylistic turns that really enrich the experience of the novel as well, and that give it a certain air of recollection and a certain childish recollection of somebody looking back at their childhood in a much better way than the direct commenting that we criticized earlier. Regarding the perspective, though, um, Flannery O'Connor, another great Southern writer, said that basically To Kill a Mockingbird was a children's book. Would you agree, is this a children's book, a young adult novel, or is this a, in quotation marks, proper novel? Now, obviously, there's a lot of upsetting subject matter in this. Uh, rape is discussed. Quite Mur explicitly. Quite explicitly. Rape is discussed. Murder is discussed. Lynching is discussed. Not as explicitly. So I think just from the subject matter, I think I wouldn't give this to a young child, but I would say a teenager, somebody aged 12 or 13. The age that Jem is in the novel definitely could profit from this. And it's not that difficult to read because, as I said, there are these very intense passages of it as well. And I think it's a diverting and rewarding read. I think I would agree in the end, yes. We brought up several points of criticism and obviously nowadays you would have to read the book from a different perspective. There are endless variations, for example, of the N-word and you need a critical framework. You can't just let that stand on its own nowadays. But at the same time, as we said, it's not just a diatribe of some sort. It's not just a, oh, racism is bad book, but rather it's many things. It's a portrayal of, as you said, Southern society at a certain point in the 20th century. It is a portrayal of how racism is an integral part of that society, but doesn't mean that everything about this society is horrible. And that in each case, we should maybe follow Atticus's example and think for a moment, what is the other person's perspective like? What is another aspect of this character, situation, and so on? So we both agree that you should read To Kill a Mockingbird if you haven't done so already. But if you want to read something else as well, or instead, what would you recommend, Christian? I actually haven't thought that much about a recommendation beforehand. But talking about the book right now, there's one other classic novel that comes to mind. And maybe it seems kind of off to recommend this book. But how about The Catcher in the Rye? You mentioned Holden Caulfield before. And why I'm recommending this is because it is obviously not about racism or about the South in any way. But what it is, is also a very subjective portrayal of growing up in a world where things are not as they seem. And growing up means realizing that. 
And Holden Caulfield obviously has another perspective, an angry teenage perspective on the phonies, as he says. But I think it's an interesting comparison between how Scout deals with the duplicity of society and how Holden deals with it. A book that actually came to mind for me was Huckleberry Finn by Mark Twain. Now, I cannot recommend it in good conscience, though, because I haven't read it. But I, at least from what I know, think it is very similar in that it's a story of a young boy growing up in the South and just sort of doing childhood things. And then he encounters this question of racism in a different context, of course, in a context where slavery was still a factor. Uh, but he also learns and grows. But as I said, I haven't read it yet, but I think it would make a very interesting companion piece to, to Kill a Mockingbird. And I will put it on my list to read it now and look at it with this To Kill a Mockingbird perspective. The next thing to do is also the last thing to do, namely say goodbye and thank you for listening. And if you like our podcast, then why not rate it on iTunes where you can find it or go to our homepage, which is outside of a com, and leave a comment there. We're always glad about any kind of feedback we get on our website. You can also find our email address, which is outside of at gmail.com. And you can find links to our Facebook account. You can subscribe to our RSS feed or on iTunes and you can find a link to our Goodreads page, which is brand new. Yes, basically what we want to give you is a chance to read ahead the books that we choose to talk about in the coming weeks. And thank you very much to the listener who suggested this idea of a Goodreads page for our podcast. Recommend us to your friends, recommend us to your enemies. And keep on listening, because next week we're going to read another book that is quite long and complicated. What is it going to be, Jonas? The Life and Opinions of Tristram Shandy, Gentlemen. It's not going to be that gentle. Thank you very much for listening. For more information, visit outsideofadogcast.com. Deeply segregated, with the Jim Crow laws discriminating... Jim, Jim Crow. Yeah, sorry, I realized that in a moment. Jim Kraut. That was a very northern thing to say. Jim Crow. Jim Crow. You know nothing, Jim Crow. <laughs> exactly.